0: and welcome back to the Sci-Fi Feminist Podcast. We are really now wrapping up 2021 and um, I want to thank you for your support of this podcast. I never imagined when I started this podcast about nine months ago or so that... um, I would end up doing this many episodes and I also didn't expect to receive this much uh, support and positive feedback from the podcast. So thank you for listening. Thank you for the support throughout 2021. And I hope to, in 2022, to keep bringing you uh, exciting and interesting new episodes and research on women and popular culture and feminism and representation. Um, so first things first, I would also like to thank Ashley Ariel on Patreon for their continued support of the podcast. And if you would like to receive a shout out on the podcast, then head over to my Patreon page and sign up and um, yeah, see what other perks there are available for you if you would like to get a bit closer with me, your host. Um, today, I'm going to do a special episode. I'm going to do an episode on some of the women in the Quentin Tarantino movies. Now, I have been a huge uh, Quentin Tarantino fan since I was young, and my dad really had a big impact and influence on this because he would always show us these really violent movies, <laughs> such as Kill Bill, um, Pulp Fiction, uh yeah, Inglorious Bastards. Although I was I was a bit older when Inglorious Bastards came out. Um, he would show us all of these movies, and I really gained a liking for well these gory, violent movies, but especially movies with um, great fighting in it. Um, Kill Bill. I know Kill Bill came out around 2003, and at that time I must have been about nine years old. And I actually watched Kill Bill, like, um, around that time. So when I looked at the dates, I was like, wow, was I that young when I watched Kill Bill the first time? Um, obviously, Kill Bill is very violent, very gory, in typical Quentin Tarantino style. Um, but, yeah, since since that time, I've always liked these types of movies, and especially the fight scenes in the movies. Um, so why I liked Kill Bill especially, and I think why that had such a big impact on me, um, was because I also watched a lot of Bruce Lee movies. So when I was young, I did karate. And uh, recently, as you know, <laughs> or I don't know if I've mentioned this, but it feels like these days karate is all I talk about because I just enjoy it so much. Um I recently started karate again. Uh, I woke up one morning and I was like, I need to do karate. So I started it again. And um, so I've gained maybe like a renewed interest in kung fu movies and fighting movies. Um, but always before karate tournaments, my dad would show me these really old kung fu movies, especially the ones that featured legends like Bruce Lee, Jet Li, uh, Jackie Chan. Um so we would watch things like Enter the Dragon, and then the next day I'm really pumped up to go kick some ass at the karate tournament, although I was never very good at fighting because um, I always uh, feel sorry if I have to hit someone or hurt someone. Um, but anyway, so there's this one Bruce Lee movie. I actually forgot its name. I will get the name for you. Um, but yeah, today's movie recommendation then is Enter the Dragon. Go and watch Enter the Dragon with Bruce Lee. It's super awesome. Um, that there's another Bruce Lee movie where, uh, I think it's towards the end of the movie, or I don't know if this makes up, like, half of the movie, uh, I can't remember, I need to watch it again, but he goes into this building, and on each floor of the building, there is a different fighter, so he has to go through all of these fighters to get to the top, at the end, um, to the main fighter, like, the boss fighter, and then, you know, uh, defeat him, and then... <laughs> Uh, finish the movie. Um And in that movie, he wears this yellow outfit. It's actually very similar or almost exactly the same as the one that Kido wears, uh, Irma Thurman, uh, that she wears in Kill Bill. So, you know, with that Bruce Lee movie as my frame of reference and then seeing a woman, uh, especially like a very stereotypically pretty blonde woman um, in this yellow suit, kicking so much ass in Kill Bill. That had a very big impact on me, I think. And uh, since then, uh, I really liked the Quentin Tarantino movies. So since then, I watched uh, many of the other ones, um, some of which I will talk about today. So yes, today is a Tarantino special. And um, why I like Quentin Tarantino movies is because many times, as much as there are feet in the movie. <laughs> um, yeah, as you know, Quentin Tarantino is uh, infamous for his foot fetish, <laughs> so we always see all sorts of feet in uh, in the Tarantino movies. Uh, actually, one of my favorite scenes is in Kill Bill, where she's in the car and she's unable to move her legs, and it zooms in on Irma Thurman's toes, and she says, wiggle your big toe, <laughs> and she does that for like 24 hours. Um, such a classic scene. But anyway, as much as there are feet in the the movies are also very interesting and powerful female characters, so today is kind of a tribute to them. Um, yeah, today I'm going to list maybe three or four of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies and then uh, discuss some of the female characters and some of the the archetypes and stereotypes that we see um, in these movies. Whether it's good or bad, um, yeah, we'll, we'll see. All right, so without further ado, then let's get into today's discussion of the women from the Quentin Tarantino movies. All right, so the first one I'm going to talk about then um is Kill Bill because I think uh yeah, it's such a seminal film and yeah, I'm gonna watch it. It's on my holiday watching list, actually. Uh, every year I do an annual rewatching of the Lord of the Rings trilogy <laughs> and also the four, the alien quadrilogy, the four alien movies. And this year, um, Kill Bull is going to be added to that list. Uh, another movie I also re-watch every year is Carol. <laughs> yeah, on Christmas. That's my Christmas movie. And then New Year's is my alien movies. Um, yeah, it's a bit sad. Now you know what I do on Christmas and New Year's. Uh, it's very a bit sad. But uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, Kill Bull. Okay, so Kill Bull is, uh, like I mentioned, um, there are some strong female characters in there, in terms of them being great fighters and assassins. Now, um, one of the the big uh, narrative tropes that we see in Kill Bill is especially the rape revenge narrative. Um, now, it's not 100 uh, does not 100 fit this trope, but there um, there have been many analyses of Kill Bill as a rape revenge film. So basically what the rape revenge narrative entails is the idea that a female character only becomes empowered after she has suffered some really big injustice at the hands of men or at the hands of patriarchy. 90% of the time it happens to be rape, uh, some sexual crime committed against the woman. Now, there is, a, well, it's implied Um in Kill Bill, that she also gets raped, but, uh, even more than that, she, she kind of suffers at the hands of the main assassin, uh, Bill, or I don't know if he's actually assassin, or he just kind of, um, uh, what's the word, conducts all the assassins, um, but we only find out in Kill Bill 2 that actually, um, he is the father of her baby. Uh, her name is Kido in the film. That's her assassin nickname. So let me quickly uh, just revise the the story, <laughs> um, if you haven't watched it, or if you've watched it a long time ago, um, so that you know what I'm talking about. So basically, there's this group of assassins, and um, she is one of them, Irma Thurman's character, Kiddo. She's one of them. Uh, but she falls pregnant and, um, eventually she gets married to someone else. And then on her wedding day, all of these assassins, uh, pitch up and they kill her. They murder her husband and they shoot her at point blank range in the head. And, um, she loses her baby that she's pregnant with at the time. Or so we think, uh, in Killable 2, it's revealed that, uh, you know she she didn't lose the baby and actually bull is the father um but she ends up in some hospital where she's in a coma and um yes that is kind of where the movie starts after we see the scene of the wedding massacre um so Definitely at the hands of a man, she suffers that injustice. And then the whole premise of the film is that she seeks revenge on all of these assassins. So one by one, she has a list and she, one by one, goes and she kills each one of them. Each one of them that had a role to play in um, in the massacre at the wedding hall. Yes, and then in Kill Bill 2, obviously she finds Bill finally, at the end. And um, it's a whole complicated thing where she realizes that shes a, he's actually the father of her child and that her child is alive. And um, this whole story. Yes. So in terms of that, um, this is 100% a revenge narrative. Um, I say it can be a rape revenge narrative too, because in the hospital, it's implied that there are some people that come and pay and then they, yeah, it's very gross. Um, they kind of sleep with the the people in the coma (laughs) so um i actually love this scene uh when she wakes up um this guy buck (laughs) comes in and he's ready to to you know rape the rape her again um while she's unconscious and then she's actually not unconscious she just woke up and she bites his tongue and she like rips out his tongue and then kills him very gruesomely um with the door yeah a uh, very very great scene and then she she takes his car keys and then it's this really really bad like symbol of patriarchy this um th- this Uh, this car that she gets. I'm not going to say the car's name. Uh, You can Google it. (laughs) Um, Yes, so this is a rape-revenge narrative. Um, And this narrative arc, or this character arc, has been criticized by some theorists because it implies that women only become empowered after they have suffered some terrible injustice at the hands of patriarchy or at the hands of men, and then seek revenge and become empowered through the revenge and through the violence. Um, I think there are more aspects to her than only this, though, but we see this in other movies too. Um, the other day I watched 300 Rise of the Empire. It's the second 300 movie with Eva Green. And that is also a clear and stereotypical rape revenge narrative. We have this woman who is, uh, the, the leader of the general's army. Um, not the general's army. She is the general <laughs> of the king's army. Really, really powerful female character. But then when we see her backstory, we see that, oh, she was raped as a child, uh, or as a young girl, as a teenager. And then she seeks revenge on her killers. And that's how she became empowered and how she, uh, ended up, um, having this, this position of authority. So, um, yeah, positive and negative things about this character arc. Uh, many people would argue, why do female characters need to be raped first? Um, or why do they need to have something terrible done to them by men specifically before they actually, um, before they can actually become empowered? You know, is that a prerequisite? Why is that always the case? So that is why this narrative has been criticized a little bit. Um Yeah, but like I say, um, Kido, uh, Irma Thurman's character, we, she was an assassin even before this whole um, this whole thing happened. So we could argue that she was empowered before, but she kind of, when she gets married, it's implied that she leaves that assassin's life behind, she becomes domesticated, and of course she becomes pregnant, which will make her a mother. Um, and if you've listened to previous episodes you know, motherhood has a lot of bad connotations for feminism, um, once all of that is taken away from her, then she becomes this empowered female character again through seeking revenge. So, yes, that is that is the story with Kill Bill. Um, but what I do love is that they actually used a very stereotypically blonde and beautiful actress for this role. Um, usually... Yeah, you know, we always criticize these Western beauty ideals, but what this also does is it subverts stereotypes about the specific type of women. Um, there are, unfortunately, stereotypes that um, women with Irma Thurman's looks especially, um, you know, they're blonde, they're just pretty, uh, they're not very smart, um, you know, these are all negative stereotypes regarding blonde and beautiful women specifically. And um, I think she definitely subverts all of those stereotypes. You know, she is beautiful, but she's unbelievably tough. She goes through many, many things. Um, she never actually uses her beauty to gain anything. Um, she really just uses her sheer willpower and her her mind that is set on revenge to actually um, get things done. And she has great fighting skill too. She trains for a long time uh, with this uh, sensei in the mountains. She becomes rock hard, super tough, solid. And she goes, she demands a sword. <laughs> I love that scene where she's like, I don't, I didn't say sell me. I said, give me, <laughs> give me the sword. I'm not buying it. You need to give it to me. And um, she goes and seeks revenge. Um, another thing that this movie, unfortunately, also does is, um, it pits, uh, women against each other. Um, although, you know, this is, uh, forget, forgive the pun. It's a double edged sword because, you know, on the one hand, we see many powerful female assassins, you know, female characters, female fighters. Um, but what it also does is, yeah. Um that first the first person that she goes to kill is the black lady. Um I forgot the, that assassin's name. And her daughter is there. And then she actually kills her in front of her daughter. And these two women, they're fighting each other in the kitchen <laughs> with all these household appliances. Um, I guess it's a kind of a satire on, you know, we have this, what seems like a very domesticated woman. And then um, she has like a gun in the, the cereal <laughs> and she, she, she's a great fighter, um, and then, of course, there's a the whole thing like vengeance upon vengeance. You know, she kills the woman in front of her daughter and she tells the daughter, you can come for me one day and avenge your mother. Um, so it's a whole deal of violence begets violence too. And we see these female fighters all pitted against each other and all, all actually dying quite gruesomely. Um, there's the one scene where she cuts off the secretary's arm, and it's just like blood spilling everywhere. And also the scene where she fights Lucy Liu right at the end. Um, she chops right through her head, and um, it's it's very gruesome. And you know we see these female bodies mutilated, but it's interestingly done by another female. Um, so many things happening in Kill Bill. Uh, but yeah, so as not to make this discussion <laughs> too long, I'm going to move on from Kill Bill. Um, there are some academic papers on it. You can search it. Um, people have written some very interesting things on Kill Bill because there's so many layers to what we see in the movie. Um, right, so another one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies that must be mentioned is Death Proof. Now, Death Proof is a slasher film. I think it's one of the lesser-known Tarantino movies. Uh, I'm not sure, but I saw it as a teenager. I remember clearly I was with one of my very close friends at that time, and she really loved horror movies, and especially Quentin Tarantino movies, and... My dad had this box of DVDs that he borrowed from a friend. So we were going through all of these DVDs. It was a holiday time, around December time, I think. And um, we picked this one and we're like, okay, it looks interesting, you know. And then we started watching it and the movie starts off a bit slowly. You know, we have these four stereotypically beautiful girls um, on a holiday trip, you know, road trip. And they wear these like small outfits and emphasis is placed on their bodies and everything. And in the beginning, I was like, OK, what are we watching? You know, and then there's uh, a lot of like random conversations in the film where I'm not sure exactly what's going on. And you can't really hear them speaking clearly. But I think that's part of Tarantino's, uh, cinematography. Um, and then the movie kind of builds up. There is this guy that has this car that is death proof. Um, it's a stunt car. And basically, um, you can't die if you're in that car because it's so well reinforced. So it's a death proof car. Um, I'm, I'm making quotation marks with my hands. It's a death proof car. So we're like, okay, um, it's a serial killer, four beautiful girls. We know exactly what's going to happen here. He's going to kill them with this car and that's going to be the end of the movie. So anyway, we kept watching it and watching it. And, um, he actually does manage to kill, um, I think two girls. He kills two of them. Uh, there's the one scene where the, again, uh, one of the, uh, black girls, um, It's very gruesome, uh, but I thought it was so over the top that it was... uh, Yeah, I don't know how to feel about that scene, but she has these beautiful long legs, uh, muscular, beautiful long legs, and um, she was always sitting with her legs out of the window, so you always see her legs, emphasis on these beautiful legs, and um, when he kills her, uh, we see this leg flying, (laughs) so the whole leg gets chopped off, and... You know, it's so Quentin Tarantino, so I was like, oh, okay, you know, hectic. But actually, when you think about it, um, it's it's very misogynistic, too. You know, um, the symbol of beauty, her legs, and the thing that we always see emphasized, and that's her pride, you know, um, it just kind of becomes this piece of meat in the end. And I think it says a lot about women as objects, uh, all those types of things. But knowing that it's a Quentin Tarantino movie, we can assume that, you know, this was obviously um, done intentionally by by the director. Um, but anyway, what happens is in the movie, then um, these girls uh, yeah get killed off one by one. And then two of the girls that remain, I think it's two of them that remain, they were like, we're not going to take this. We're going to kill him. And there is this beautiful, elaborate car chase uh, at the end of the movie. And they actually end up killing the killer. And it was such a nice turn of events, such a nice twist. And actually, I think now that I'm talking about it, I should add Death Note, uh, not Death Note, uh, Death Proof, <laughs> Death Proof to my, my, my list of holiday watching. Cause it's such a wonderful movie. At the end, um, the two girls get revenge on the killer and they actually kill him by his own means. They kill him with a car, <laughs> in a car. Um, so. The trope that this falls into is the final girl trope. Now, if you've watched, uh, listened to previous episodes, uh, you will know that I've also discussed Alien and Ellen Ripley as a final girl. So the final girl is basically a female character that is in a slasher horror film. And I saw on Google now that um, Death Proof is a slasher film. It falls into that category. So basically the final girl is the only survivor in a horror film that is usually a girl. Um well no, always a girl, (laughs) because it is a final girl. Um and she's usually a little bit tomboyish. Um sometimes she has a unisex name, like Ripley. I know her name is Ellen, but she's always referred to as Ripley. So um the final girl is a little bit boyish. Um And she is the only survivor and she eventually kills the killer. Now, Alien is an example of this. Um, they say Friday the 13th, Friday the 13th is also an example of it. Although I haven't watched Friday the 13th since high school. So I actually can't remember what happened. Um, not sure if there is a final girl in there. Um, but a theorist called Carol Clover wrote this book. It's called, I think, Women, men, chainsaws, something, something. Um, I will find the book title for you. Um, that also, that actually lays out this entire final girl trope in horror films. So interestingly, one of the girls that survives, um, in this, uh, this final, um, scene of Death Proof is actually one of the more tomboyish girls. Actually, the most tomboyish one. Um, yeah, so we don't have a final girl, but we have final girls. Two final girls in this movie. Um, but yes, the final girl is a potentially feminist trope. Um, because, well, she doesn't really conform to beauty standards, and she um, doesn't really... Um, She's not as sexualized as the other ones, um, and she bests the killer at the end. So that is the trope that we see in Death Proof, another feminist trope, uh, possibly feminist trope in a Quentin Tarantino movie. So the final character I would like to draw attention to is from uh, Inglorious Bastards. Her name is Shoshana um she is basically uh in the film if you're acquainted with inglorious bastards it's basically about uh the nazis and the jews and um i just love how they violently kill hitler at the end and all of these parties so um quite a different end to the story of the holocaust and the nazis and all of that um but there's one female character in the movie uh, shoshana she is a jew um that Kind of the first time we meet her, um, she hides under the floorboards of someone who is um, yeah, taking the Jews as refuge from the Nazis. And um, yeah, they find out that they are there and she basically runs away. And then later we meet her again. Um, she basically is the owner of a movie theater. And um, this movie theater, it eventually becomes the place where there's this big show off between the Nazis and the inglorious bastards that kill the Nazis. Um, this American Association Um that go and kill the nazis and that are basically um sent to kill hitler or their mission is to kill hitler and um actually she does not work with them but their goals are the same so at the end in this big show off um we basically see shoshana's story coming to a close um and also the nazi killers um their story coming to a close um all in the same place which is this movie theater that she owns now what I like about her, what makes her an interesting character is that, um, she absolutely has no fear. She, she runs away, um, from the Nazi, uh, in the beginning. And then at some point she meets him again. Um, he doesn't know it's her. <laughs> um, it's this scene with the apple strudel. That's like the most delicious apple strudel I've ever seen in a movie. Um, and there's this kind of situation where she sees him, but she keeps his cool. And then right towards the end, um, she basically sacrifices herself. She sacrifices her everything. Um, she and her lover both sacrifice themselves um, to kill the Nazis. Um, yeah, I don't know why I liked her. Um, I don't know. This doesn't really fall into any... F- Specific empowering female role or trope. Um, I just think she's very resourceful, very tenacious, and she's very absolute in carrying out her, her mission, um, to the point where she's willing to, to die at the end, um, just to see Hitler die, <laughs> to see the Nazis get all killed and blown up. Um, yeah, when I look at that movie, I definitely thought to myself, I don't think I would ever have that type of resolve, um, the the guts to actually give my life uh, for some greater cause. I don't know <laughs> if I would be able to do that. So I guess that's why I admired this uh, Shoshana character. Um, yes, yeah, so those are my three favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, um, Pulp Fiction is also definitely up in there, um, but the way Pulp Fiction treats women, um, yeah, I don't think it's really about the woman, <laughs> so I didn't mention it in this discussion, um, but I would say those are then my four favorite, um, Quentin Tarantino movies. I would think, uh, definitely Django is also right up there, uh, also a really great movie, um, yeah, but I'm not here to talk about my favorite Quentin Tarantino movies, just the female characters. So those are the characters that stood out the most in the Quentin Tarantino movies. And I think in many of his movies, I certainly haven't watched all of them, but in many of them we do find quite very interesting and quite empowered um, female characters. All right, so that is the episode for today. I hope everyone's having a wonderful holiday. Um, see you again next week for another Sci-Fi Feminist episode. Thank you for tuning in. Um, just a reminder, I have some cool merch up on my t-shirt stores. Um, I've uploaded some more designs, so uh, you can head over there, have a look, uh, see what there is to buy, uh, buy your loved one a nice... Um, Emperor Giorgio t shirt <laughs> for Christmas, if you want. Um, yes, thank you for listening. I'll wrap up the episode here. Live long and prosper until next week. Bye bye. This show is brought to you by Hollow Sweet Media. Computer list other available Hollow Sweet Media programs. Loading Hollow Sweet, preview program four Blast Shield, a Star Trek Lower Decks podcast. I think we all thought Ransom was going to go into that fight scene thinking that it was game over before it even started and he was going to lose. But I think the moment he rips his uniform off, yeah. which is hard anyway to rip a shirt, but to rip an actual like jacket like that, mm. pretty impressive. And then he had like about, I don't know, I think it's like 62 abs. He just looked ripped. And then he was just like, you know, a little bit of this. Yeah. A little bit of that. <laughs> I was just going to say, it was the way that he also narrated it. It was just perfect. It was great. Ransom definitely went to the school of Kirk Fu. Ransom Foo, maybe we should be calling it. Loading Holosuite Preview Program 4 Random Trek Review A Star Trek Review Podcast Yeah, the one you mentioned with Dr. Crusher is hilarious because it gets down to her and Captain Picard and so it's like they have this giant galaxy-class ship and there's just the two of them and he acts like it's a normal thing and it's just absolutely ridiculous, right? Two people on that giant starship. And there's even the point where, where she says Computer, how many personnel would it take to run this ship? And they're like 832 or something and Picard's like oh, yeah, that is kind of weird, I guess. I thought we were just doing it, the two of us, you know? Like, that was pretty funny. Computer, deactivate Suite.